When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Thank everybody who's been waiting for probably a very long time for this episode. Uh, this is the infamous Vinnie Vincent episode. Uh, starting about two years ago, I started talking to someone who knew a lot of inside information about Vinnie Vincent. And being a big-time KISS fan and uh, knowing what an enigma, an enigma, that doesn't sound right, an enigma that Vinnie Vincent is, um, Obviously, I was curious to hear this stuff because Vinny had kind of disappeared over the last uh, 15, 20 years. To my crazy surprise, he turns out he lived just a couple of couple of minutes or actually well, about 10 minutes away from where I live now in Tennessee. And I knew he had lived in Tennessee, but I didn't know how close he was to me. Um, but I kept I kept that information under wraps. Um, didn't want to invite nut, nutty stalkers coming in to bother the guy because I was a fan of his growing up, even though. You know, you're going to hear a lot of things that have definitely tainted my opinion of of him over the years. But it's just my opinion. My source told me about this, and it kind of put a bug in my ear to maybe possibly write. Um, for originally, it was going to be write a magazine article about Vinnie Vincent, using the information he gave me to sort of update people on where he was now and a little bit about what we had found out about him that not the the, the masses didn't know. And let me go ahead and put it out there that if you're listening to this and you obviously care about Vinnie Vincent, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to dog me for doing this an episode on Vinnie Vincent, which that's fine. I know he's probably not the most relevant person that there is in music history, but for those of us that are KISS geeks and, and geeks on 80s rock music and that have a fond memory of that era, you know, we let us enjoy our time and we want to, you know, discuss this stuff. Let us geek out. And if you don't want to geek out on it, fine, find somebody else's podcast to listen to. But for those of you that are still here and haven't turned off your iPod by now, this is going to be very heavy on Vinnie Vincent stuff, and it's going to, we're going to try to get into the minutia about uh, what Vinnie's been up to all these years. And obviously we're going to talk about the recent arrest and the upcoming court case, and it may be the previous court case by the time you hear this. But let me go ahead and say that when I started right at, started to work on making this into a, a magazine thing, I wound up getting so much material from people that I would talk to, and this became more and more intriguing to me as time went on about all the things this guy has done, really, to people um, over the years. And it's um, it's almost like the uh, I know it's a title. I think it was taken by the by uh, the the uh, Sex Pistols back in the seventies, but it really is like the great rock and roll swindler. Um, from if you believe what you've been told, I don't know that I necessarily believe everything I've been told about Vinnie Vincent. I would, I would like to believe that at least half of it's false. Because well, honestly, if even half of it's true, then it's you're dealing with a really, really strange individual, um, and a very unethical person. If that's the case, but that's just my opinion. I'm entitled to that under the uh, Free Speech Act. And so anyway, so much stuff came out that eventually it was going to be a book project. And then I started talking to some friends of mine that had done KISS-related books over the years, and 
even they told me, they're like, well, really, you know, there's no mass appeal for a book on Vinnie Vincent, which kind of hurt me because I'm a fan of the guy. And really, I was a fan of his Kiss era stuff only and never really gave a chance to the Invasion era stuff and all the stuff that came after it. There's not a lot of it, but I kind of ignored him after he left Kiss. I love the stuff he did in Kiss. I think he, uh, and a lot of people disagree with me, but I think he came in at a very, he was needed at a very important time for the band. And fantastic songwriter, fantastic guitar player. Um, but I hadn't given the Invasion stuff a shot yet. And because a lot of people say, oh, it's just wankery. And maybe that's true to a point. But I, uh, as I researched this book project at the time, I started listening to some of his records from the 80s with the Invasion and some of the stuff he did even after, which we'll get into in great detail. Um, and really like got into most of it. I mean, there's some stuff, and he does go way over the top. And I think if he had... Um, this is just my opinion. If he had leashed himself a bit on some of the solo stuff, it probably would have benefited him commercially. Um, as a fan of guitar players and shredding and stuff, I loved it. But, um, you know, I'm a very small percentage of your, your target demographic if you're trying to sell records. But um, So there's a lot of interesting things to come out of the stories that you're going to hear on this episode. And let me, while I'm on that point, let me just state, Vinnie Vincent has an open invitation, and I live, honestly, 10 minutes away from you, you have an open invitation to come on to the, my show anytime and set the record straight. And I'm going to be very clear on this. Anything that you hear from the folks on this episode, and I'm not trying to show favoritism towards Vinny or trying to, well, I'm just trying to basically be clear on this. This is all the recollections and remembrances of the people that are interviewed. And that's not to take away from me being appreciative of the people that have been interviewed for this because I totally appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules to come and talk to my little podcast and tell me your recollections of Vinnie Vincent and your interactions with him over the years because you all are very respected in my book and I totally appreciate you coming on. So now that I've kissed enough ass to begin this, let's go ahead and go into the first segment of the show. Broadcasting from the rock and metal mecca, Nashville, Tennessee. What in the hell? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Vinnie Vincent is mostly well-known as the replacement for Ace Fraley and Kiss. Uh, he came into public view around 1982 when Kiss released the Creatures of the Night album, and Vinnie showed up as the replacement on the tour uh, for Ace Fraley. Uh, his makeup image at the time was the Egyptian Ankh symbol on his makeup, and uh, he was kind of known as the Wiz or Egyptian Wizard or Egyptian Warrior, and there's a number of different titles thrown around about him. As far as his history goes, if you go back a little further, in the late 70s he was with the Dan Hartman group, uh, and they were known mostly for the song Instant Replay, which was kind of a, a disco-era hit. And he sort of became an Internet meme on YouTube when the video for this song hit YouTube when there was some, shall we say, creative choreography going on. Um, I attempted to get in touch with uh, Dan Hartman drummer Hilly Michaels, but he chose not to comment, but he did state that he had fond memories of his time working with Vin, well, I guess then Vincent Cusano on the project at the time. Uh, after leaving Dan Hartman, Vinny had hooked up with a couple of members of the, or three members of the band New England, uh, who was a group that was uh, produced by Paul Stanley in the late 70s, and went out to Massachusetts to cut some demos with them for a new rock project. But uh, at that point, during that time when that, that uh, project was being tracked, Vinny and the band had moved out to L.A. in the early 80s. And during that time, uh, Vinny was introduced to Gene Simmons of KISS as a possible writing partner for the upcoming KISS record that was going to be released in 1982. Uh, a lot of people know that that album is now known as Creatures of the Night. Uh, Vinny Vincent uh, helped write I Love It Loud and Killer for Creatures of the Night. I believe also I Still Love You, which was also a song he helped co-write. Uh, and did a lot of did a, a bit of the lead playing on the album. It's still kind of murky about how much lead playing because there were a number of people that did lead lead playing on the uh, Creatures album. But anyway, the album was released. Ace Frehley was on the cover. Mostly, a lot of people believe that was due to a contractual issue with uh, Polygram at the time, uh, getting paying Kiss for their advance, uh, needing to have three members of the band on the cover. But the Creatures of the Night tour came out and. 
did not do well. Um, their album did not do well. The tour played to the U.S. in half-filled halls. My personal opinion, I think it was one of the best records the band ever did. Most Kiss fans will tell you that. Very hard-edged, a big comeback from the Elder mistake. and uh, But just didn't go over well. And uh, that led to the shows in South America in, I believe, early 83. And then um, the band decided to take off the makeup for the Lick It Up album. And Vinnie Vincent was a huge part of the Lick It Up album. A big co-writer, I, think, I believe, on eight of the tracks. And um, really, really played a big role in Kiss at that time, um, including the title track, Lick It Up, which is still a big, big song to this day. Uh, many people know that song. And he was a member of the band, obviously, for when the band unmasked for that album on MTV late at night. Him and Eric Carr were the new guys, and Gene and Paul were the old guys, and they did the unmasking, and he was one of the people on there. So that you know, that's kind of a claim to fame for him. Um, as far as what my research has found, and a lot of Kiss fans know about this stuff. Um, Vinny basically would not sign a contract. Is from what from basically it's pretty well known. Vinny would not sign the contract that Gene and Paul were offering to be a member of Kiss. Um, now, as far as why he wouldn't sign this contract, that's where it gets a little crazy, and a lot of people, you can pick which side you want to be on. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley have their side of why Vinny Vincent did not want to sign this contract. Vinny Vincent has his side, and basically Vinny's side was that he would be signing his entire life away had he done this contract with Kiss, and later on would wind up suing Kiss for the conditions that they put him in when uh, putting him up for the recording of this record. Um, so he officially never was a member of Kiss, if you want to be technical about it, but he obviously was because he was there for the videos, the tours, the albums, and all that. But uh, I think it was after the European Kiss Lick It Up tour that's when Vinny was, he was either dismissed or he left the band for, uh, according to Kiss, unethical reasons. Um and for Vinny not wanting to sign his life away. It just depends on who you believe. And right now I want to go ahead and play a little clip of, ironically, Kiss, uh, did they did their uh, convention tour in the in 95, and they actually came here to my town of Nashville, which is also Vinny's town of Nashville, and uh, took there's a big Q&A session that takes place at all these conventions back in 95, and this is a person named Alan Tate who so kindly let us use this clip. It's up on YouTube, but I wanted to get permission from him. And he so kindly let us use this clip of Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley answering Alan when he asked, why did you let go of Vinnie Vincent? And also you'll hear Bruce Kulick at the end on his remembrances of uh, the, the uh, Unholy Solo from 92's Revenge album. So go ahead and check out this clip of Paul and Gene talking about Vinnie Vincent. I just want to know why you guys fired Vinnie Vincent. <laughs> How many hours do you have? It's a fair question. Um, Vinny was an incredibly talented guitar player and was a, a great talent to write with, but was a, not a team player and somebody who was not very honest in his dealings with the band, made us a lot of promises about what he would do and then didn't do them. And, um, in dealing with the fans, and dealing with people who've been with us for 15, 20 years, he was very um, disrespectful and did things that we thought were embarrassing to us, um, things that we wound up apologizing for. And at some point, very quickly, it became clear that Vinny didn't belong in the band. Quite honestly, from the day that Vinny joined the band, we weren't happy about having him, but we wanted to go out on tour, and a tour had been booked, and we didn't want to have a temporary guitar player. So we had Vinny join, and our gut feeling was right. From the day he joined, he was a problem. And uh, we don't need those kind of problems, and neither do you. Now, you know, specifically, just so you, you get it, because it's sort of, we're trying to protect Vinny as well, not by, by not being too specific, because, you know, some of the stuff doesn't really belong out there. Everybody deserves a private life. But look, when you go out on tour, there are guys in suits and ties who insure tours. You gotta insure the people who are on tour, and when a band goes out on tour, you've got to insure the band in case anybody gets sick or whatever. You know, you lose a lot of money. So in order for a band to insure itself, you've got to show that it's a band. You've got to show contracts and so on. And in order for that to happen, everybody in the band has got to be signed to the band. You've got to have a piece of paper that says we're all in the same band, signed members of the band. 
Then he kept saying, I'll sign it tomorrow, I'll sign it tomorrow. He did that for a long time, years. To this day, he's never signed. <laughs> and finally, he just said, you know, fuck it, this is not, this is not worth it. And uh, honestly, he's just, he's just, you know, the ethics are questionable. At one point, now that we're talking about him, okay, let's, let's, let's really, let's talk to at one point what Vinny did is he sold a fan a guitar that he had never played and said it was his favorite guitar and it was a guitar he always played and he sold it to the to a, a fan for more than it cost in a store and it was that kind of stuff that we just said this is you know totally unacceptable and uh, we'll see you later and and he had the balls to at some convention, he shows up and says that uh, the question was, so did you have anything to do with the solo on Unholy? Now, he wrote the song, and I'm not taking anything away from Vinny, but he actually had the balls to say, oh, uh, uh, well, yeah, we all worked on that. And man, that pissed me off when I read that. I called a poll right away. He said, well, look, it's Vinny. You know, we'll you. But you got to be a complete scumbag to pull that kind of shit. Other you, than that, Bruce loves it. Yeah, but otherwise, I don't know. But you got credit real stories. Don't steal my thunder, you know. So where is that motherfucker? <laughs> Hi, this is Mick Fury, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. After Kiss, Vinnie Vincent went on to form the Vinnie Vincent Invasion with Dana Strum on bass, Bobby Rock on drums, and singer Robert Fleischman. Um, the album that was recorded was a self-titled album, Vinnie Vincent Invasion, and featured a lot of shredding and uh, pop rock type music. Uh, the there's an interesting story involving Vinnie Vincent talking about Mark Slaughter in hindsight saying that he received a audition tape or audition cassette from with no contact info with Mark Slaughter singing on it and uh, saying that basically they stuck with Robert Fleischman for the first album because they couldn't get in touch with Mark Slaughter and he spent ten thousand dollars trying to track down Mark Slaughter and then when they found him they let Fleischman go and made Mark Slaughter the singer. Um, and I want to quote an interview that Robert Fleischman gave with a site called www.rockpages.gr to put an interview out with him from the past couple of years. And Robert says, quote, I was never fired. Vinny had a manager whose only experience was being a road manager. And that, take away from that quote, that manager was George Sewitt who was Kiss's road manager in the 1980, 1980 Australian tour. Back to the quote. The manager had promised Chrysalis Records that he would tie me up in a contract. So at the photo shoot for the album, the manager came to me with this document as thick as the phone book and told me to sign it, saying, trust me, it's okay. I told him that I wanted to take it to my lawyer, a thing that is typical in these situations, but he insisted that I sign it right then and there. So I refused. Obviously, I was once again pegged as a difficult person. He went back to Chrysalis and had to tell them that I didn't sign, but he had already led Chrysalis to believe that I will sign. So he was caught in a lie, and the shit hit the fan. So then I started getting calls from Chrysalis telling me to sign a deal, which would tie me up without any money advances or anything. I said no to them. They threatened me by saying they would take my voice off the album, so I told them to do what they had to do. Obviously, taking my voice off would have cost them a great deal more money, but I had never heard from them after that. They found another vocalist to sign, apparently, and they had probably gave him very little money. He'd be talking about Mark Slaughter there. Um, and then Robert goes on to say, A few months later, I had people telling me to turn on MTV. So I turn on MTV, and I see the premiere of Vinny's new video, Boys Are Gonna Rock, expecting to hear the new singer's vocals. To my surprise, my voice was coming out of this guy's mouth, and he was dressed in leather pants with panties on the outside. So that was the first Millie Vanilli type situation. Needless to say, there was a legal dispute over it, which I won. According to Robert Fleischman, there was no big search or whatever. This was a deal where he did not want to sign the contract that was being offered. Now, I don't know that we can really peg Vinny on this as far as the problem, because it sounds to me like Fleischman was making it out that George Sewitt, the manager, was trying to work him on a deal. So it, it may not be Vinny. It may be Vinny. I'm not sure, but there's plenty more stories to come. Basically... Fleischman did the vocals for the first album, for the Vinnie Vincent Invasion album, for those, those that aren't fans. 
and all the video the, the video that came out for Boys Are Gonna Rock had Mark Slaughter aping to uh, Robert Fleischman's vocals, and uh, they went on to tour with uh, Iron Maiden, I believe, for that tour. Mark Slaughter's real recording debut was on the second album, All Systems Go, which features a more radio-friendly vibe but wasn't pushed very much by Chrysalis Records, and I, I think anyone can see that because um, it just it didn't get much of a push, and possibly because there are also rumors that I've heard that Vinnie maxed out their credit line during the making of the album and basically shot it up to where the album would have had to have been the biggest album of all time to pay off what Vinnie had charged up on the uh, credit card for the record company. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. Um, also during this time was when Rick Fox, a former member of Wasp, Steeler, and Sin, among others, other bands, had his run-in with Vinnie. Um, Rick Fox was kind enough to take some time out to talk with me, um, but he actually almost stopped the All Systems Go album from coming out. Reason being because he had claimed there was a copyright infringement claim going on with uh, Vinny ripping him off on a song that wound up on the record called Let Freedom Rock, bearing a pretty striking resemblance to the Fox pinned On the Run, which uh, if I've listened to it myself in my own personal opinion, just an opinion, not a fact, is that I do hear the, I do hear the similarity and I do believe Rick had um, a reasonable argument here. But obviously, if you're going to take on, if you're one person taking on a record company and their lawyers, you're probably not going to have a lot of luck. But Rick tells us this story and all the details about his encounters with Vinnie Vincent over the years. I guess right off the top, before we get into stuff about your career and everything, why don't you go ahead and get your impressions on this latest bit of news about Vinny? Uh, boy, what can I say? Karma? Yeah. You know, it, it, I, what what can I say that hasn't already been said? I mean, for a guy who's as talented as he is, you know, he walks hand in hand with his own lunacy, I, I guess, if I could use that term, because... I mean, he, he's that talented, but but why does he need to stoop to certain levels of, of things that get himself into trouble? I just, I don't get it, you know? I mean, he, he, he did a project with Hirsch Gardner from New England and tried to walk off with Hirsch's songs, and Hirsch sued him and won. You know, and yet he writes songs with Kiss. I don't know to what length and breadth and depth his material was used by Kiss. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, you're working within a severely limited forum with them. You know, and yet, you know, he writes songs with other people, but why does he need to feel that he can he, he can walk off with other people's songs? You know, it's it's a real paradox. You know, yeah. he's got this on the one hand, but yet he he ruins it on the other hand. It's, you know, I, I've seen uh, uh, people or, or doctors and stuff in in, uh, in, this, in the field of their studies saying that there are certain facets of people who get into the entertainment industry. They get to some certain point of success. And then they do something to sabotage it, you know, and it, it's there is a theme that, that has happened to many people who are in the entertainment industry. You know, a lot of actors do it, too. You know, they get to a point where they get so successful and then they do something that that just hamstrings them. You know, uh, Pee Wee Herman, for one, you know, uh, uh, the uh, actor who played uh, the principal in, in uh, Ferris Bueller. Uh, yeah, uh, Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. He got... Uh, Busted for doing things that weren't proper. Uh, you Gary Glitter. You're, you're, you know, just there's people out there. They, they, like I said, they do things and then they, they trip themselves up and, uh, you know, we're at a loss to explain why these things happen. And apparently, the same thing look, looks like it applies to Vinnie Vincent. Yeah. Now, reading the uh, what's been published so far, at least off of the police blotters, is that his wife was inebriated and drove herself to the police station. So. By admitting that she's inebriated and riding, driving under a DUI, you know, uh, it lends us to think that, you know, uh, there was uh, obviously a domestic uh, argument of some kind over the fact that Vinny was talking to a woman. But they, what we're just hearing is that, you know, uh, he was talking to a woman. She's drunk. I guess she, uh, you know, got into a spat with him over it. And and things like this happen all the time in the news, you know, and, and uh, they got into it. 
and, and apparently there was a broken dish on the floor. So maybe she threw a dish at him. Yeah. You know, and, and it broke. So he then it gets ugly where he, he drags her, you know, out of the house and, and, you know, such like that. So, yeah. And then, then the, the icing on the cake is the dead dogs in the containers. I mean, what's up with that? That's, that's the, where it kind of goes over the top as far as bizarre goes. But I mean, I, I don't know how to feel about, I mean, they, I know they cleared both of them on animal cruelty. I'm guessing it's something to do with, all I can think of is maybe they were preparing to bury the dogs, but I'm not sure. Until, until more information is forthcoming. We, we can't. Yeah, I think they're still looking into it. It's all speculation, but. Uh, yeah, it's, but I, I guess overall, you, can you say you were surprised to hear about this? Uh, at least to that aspect, yeah. I mean, the guy's, what does he weigh, you know, about a buck oh five soaking wet? I mean, he's, he's you know, we see him in the, in the Kiss Lick It Up video, and he seems to be very almost effeminate, effeminately built. He's really small and thin and light. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine how much force this guy could have had to drag a woman outdoors. You know, yeah. And get well, and also it, it, for everything we've heard about his, you know, business ethics, I don't recall anything about violence in his background. No, just thievery. <laughs> yeah, there's there's plenty of that to go around apparently. But uh, well, let's go back on back in time with your experience with him. How did you meet him initially? All right. What happened was uh, uh, we were dead smack in the middle of our, our Sin uh, album master demo session, and Dana Strum was producing. Uh, I walk in one night, you know, to, to do, I don't know, what if I was listening for someone else's tracks, what they were, we were tracking, or uh, if I was doing something. I just remember walking in and seeing Vinny sitting at the control board with Dana, and I was like, Okay, I know who this guy is, and and Dana's like, "Hey, Rick, uh, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine here, Vinnie Vincent. He played with Kiss, you know, a big guitar player. And you know how Dana does that whole lay it on thing, you know, like you're supposed to be impressed by all the BS that comes out of Dana's mouth. So, um, <laughs> and of course, everybody who's had to deal with him says the same thing. So it's not just my impression, but. Uh, and Vinny's like, yeah, hey, how you doing, Rick? He reaches over, shakes my hand. He says, yeah, Dana's been playing me some of your uh, material here. You guys are really cooking. Uh, I, I really like what I'm hearing here. You guys are going to be really big. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking the reason you're here is, and, and eventually Dana gets around to, well, I was playing some of uh, some of your stuff here, and, and uh, Vinny really likes On the Run. He says, it's a really good song. And, and uh and then at that point, Vinny pipes in with, yeah, we were thinking of maybe uh, if um, there's a possibility we might be able to, uh, say, re-record it uh, or something, and, and uh, have you come in and be involved, you know? And I'm like, uh, so, you know, what do you want me to see? Am I selling the song, or are you buying the song, or what? He says, well, we're just really interested in the song. We like it a lot. It's 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 got a, a really good hook to it, and it's got a lot of drive, and, uh, you know, just we'd like to, to, you know, work out something with you on, on the song, more or less, something to that effect. You know, I don't remember exactly the words said in the conversation, but the fact that we we like the song, we're thinking of, we'd like to re-record it and have you be involved. I remember that line, have you be involved in it. But how and to what level was never clarified. Hmm. And, and then I, I said, yeah, okay, whatever. And, and I never heard anything about it from that point on. We finished the, the demo the uh, you know album master demos uh, we, I had the tape and uh, I, I guess management was going to shop it. Um, I didn't know if how if if and how close we were to being signed. I, I I'm speculating that because of the Chrysalis Records co- uh, connection that they were on, that uh, Dana was going to try and shop us to Chrysalis and get us signed so he can get a piece of the pie as the finder's fee and then come on come on board as the end you know the producer for the whole the rest of the album. And then it wasn't until I was at a uh, the the NAM show, National Association of Music Merchants show, and in, in annually here in, in Anaheim, California, some months later, that uh, a copy of uh, Vinny's uh, All Systems Go demo found its way into my hands through our, our, our common uh, publicist, which was uh, Charmaine. Uh, she says, "You better listen to this." And I, I put it on, I listen, and I'm listening to the introduction of uh, of Let Freedom Rock, 
and then Star Star Spangled Banner, and then it just cuts into the first three power chords of our song, Break Down the Walls, and then it goes right into the hook of On the Run. Oh, so there were two songs of yours involved with this, really? Well, yeah, it's the first three notes, of the three chords, in the same progression uh, as, as Break Down the Walls. And then, like I said, it cuts right into On the Run, the same hook. And I'm like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, what am I listening to here? <laughs> it's, uh, dun, 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 all the signature hook chords for On the Run. And it go, cuts right into right into the song, you know, as as, it's, as we know it sounds, as it's played out. It's On the Run. Mm-hmm. And they get to this, this uh, measure of some kind of other hook, and Mark Slaughter comes in with his signature, what, scream, and they cut into the, into the changes a little bit for the verse. Mm-hmm. When they get back to the chorus, they're still running the chords for On the Run underneath Let Freedom Rock. Yeah. I was beside myself. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, one night, uh, Fred Corey, who, was the, who, who became the drummer of Cinderella, he wasn't at that point. Uh, he was leaving the band London, and he came over to my house. We hung out every once in a while, and I said, "Fred, I'd like you to hear this." Mm-hmm. And because uh, he was interested in, in possibly being a drummer for me for Sin, I put on "On the Run." He goes, "Oh yeah, I remember this song. This is one of my favorites. I love this song." I said, "Okay, now let me take it off. I want you to hear something else." And I played him "Let Freedom Rock," and he goes, "Oh, did you guys do another version of this?" <laughs> and I held up the tape, and, and it said, "Vinnie Vincent Invasion." His yeah. eyes got like saucers. His jaw hit the floor. He says, dude, you just got taken to the cleaners. That's the yeah. rip I ever heard. That's clean. There's no doubt about it. That's clean. That's not my. Uh, that's not George Harrison and my sweet Lord. He's so fine. Mm-hmm. That's clean rip. You know, and, and uh, I, I uh, bumped into Mark Slaughter and Bobby Rock, both of Vinnie Vincent Invasion at the NAMM show. Mm-hmm. And I held up the cassette and I said, you want to talk to me about this? And this was individually, not at the same time. But both of them essentially apologized to me and said they had no idea what it was that they were um, being asked to sing and play over mm-hmm. until it was too late. Then Dana kind of revealed after the fact, once their tracks were done. And I'm thinking to myself, how can that be? Because um, Mark Slaughter sang on our demo. He knew On the Run. He knows that song. Right. You know, the whole thing about about Mark Slaughter giving a, an unnamed with no phone number uh, demo to, to the Vinnie Vincent invasion, uh, uh, you know, to become their singer, to take mm-hmm. the place of Robert Fleischman. It was a whole cover story. That never happened. Dana and Mark were working together on our demo because, you know, Dana had me fire Frank Starr because his range couldn't cut this stuff. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, he brought Mark Slaughter in from Vegas, and Mark was doing tracking vocals on our demo until we got Rick Reed in, you know, who came and went. But, uh, okay. you know, so that whole thing about them having a, a, a blank cassette trying to track down Mark Slaughter, that's, that's just a cover story for magazines. Uh, yeah. So Mark, and essentially, Mark knew on the run. So I, I don't know if I could swallow that story completely because he knew the hook. But in, in any case, both Mark and Bobby Rock said, you know, they apologized to me for, for saying they didn't know what, what it was. They just... Dana played them certain tracks that they had to play along with or sing along with or whatever, and they didn't know until it was too late. Mm-hmm. So I guess I had to accept it at, at face value at that point. Well, did you go? Did you go after Dana or Vinny to find out, you know, if they had anything to say about this? Um, I didn't know how to contact Vinny personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember it now if I contacted our management who who knew Dana. I mean, they, they, our manager was the one who kind of got us the, the, the setup so that we can go into the studio to record this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Todd Cooper was our manager with Management 3, which was Jerry Weintraub's company. And this Jerry Weintraub's company handled like the Eagles, Neil Diamond, you know, like the biggest acts in the world. So yeah. that, gave us, that gave us, you know, clout in the, in the music industry. So uh, Todd's brother, Les, engineered the tape, you know, as Dana produced, and, uh, uh, you know, they, I, guess, I guess they said, I don't remember how all the strings are being pulled to manipulate what we were doing and where they were going to get us with this. So I don't remember now at this point if I contacted Todd Cooper and said, what's going on with this? We just got ripped. But I, mm-hmm. did, I did contact 
the radio stations here in Los Angeles, and I said, I understand you have a copy of Vinnie Vincent's new album, All Systems Go. I, I'm here to tell you that if you play that album, if you play Let Freedom Rock, you will be sued. And they were like, what? I said, Vinnie Vincent came into our – to long story short, Dana Strum produced us. Vinnie Vincent came in. Dana brought him in. He heard our song. He, he ripped off our song and rewrote the lyrics and changed it a little bit. That's our – that's my song. Yeah. And that ruffled some feathers, and phone calls started being made. I got a phone call from Dana Strum like later that day threatening me. It says, go ahead. Take us to court. Sue us. Sue us all you like. We'll bleed you dry, then we'll countersue you. You can't copyright a hook. You can't sue us for a hook. Mm-hmm. And I cite examples like George Harrison with My Sweet Lord and He's So Fine. George Harrison lost. I'm here to tell you. Yeah, he did. Uh, and, and Dana's like, go ahead. Do whatever you like. He goes, I'll tell you. I was talking to Carmine Apathy about this. Carmine said, pay him $1,000 and tell him to shut the fuck up. Wow. And I was, I'm like, why are you even discussing this with Carmine Apathy? Why, is he some sort of authority on the subject or something? I don't know. You know, and, and ever since then, Carmine is like, every time I see him, he just blows me off. So I don't know what his story is. Uh, he did it to me at the NAMM show again this year, this past year. Really? You know, I, I went up to him, I said hi, and he's like, looked right through me. He didn't even acknowledge me, and his, his brother Vinny blew me off. So oh, wow. I, I, I don't get it, but that's that's a whole sidebar. The, the fact sure. is, here's Dana telling me, go ahead, sue us. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't have, uh, you know, the powerful management and, and a lawyer to back me at this time because it would have been a really interesting case in court, uh, I'm sure. And I would have loved to have heard what Dana's defense on this would be. But to hear that those two songs played side by side will clearly tell you one was taken from the other. So over over time, the album never went anywhere. It just it tanked. It just you know I was like, well at least it tanked. You know it's, that's the only salvation I had at at that particular time, up mm-hmm. until such time that I got contacted in the mail by uh, a law firm who was uh, working with with or against Vinnie Vincent on his bankruptcy case. And my name came up in the case, filing in there against him as one of the plaintiffs in a class action suit because, you know, of what he did with the KISS Army and, and he owes all these people this money. And now more stuff is starting to come out out of the closet into the into the daylight about his reputation and what he's been doing to people. And I'm starting to see the pattern and the puzzle pieces fall together. And I'm thinking – I'm seeing that I'm just one part of that puzzle piece in a bigger picture. Oh, you're you're dead on with that. Because <laughs> I've I've found out quite a few stories that are very similar to what you went through with him. You know, and then of course I heard the story, the, the famous story about, you know, uh, him working with with Hirsch Gardner from New England and putting trying to put a project together, and then he just ups and leaves town and takes the songs with him. And Hirsch is like, hey, wait a minute, where's where's the songs? Yeah. You know, and then he wound up suing Vinnie Vincent and won. Mm-hmm. And when Invasion hit Boston, opening for Iron Maiden. Uh, an hour before showtime, as as I understand, all of their gear, everything they had, all their, their music gear was all painted pink. Yep. Cars, <laughs> everything that was on the stage was confiscated an hour before showtime. And they yep. had a scramble to find any music stores that were still open to get any kind of gear just to play the gig. And yeah. Then, you know, Iron Maiden was going to throw them off the, off the tour. So, Such a strange pairing with those two groups in, on one bill as it is, you know. I don't know the complete outcome of what happened you know, with Hirsch and, and, and what happened with the gear and everything, but the fact is justice was served there, but it wasn't equally served with me in, in, in the case against Vinnie Vincent. Yeah, so you showed up at his bankruptcy proceedings in Los Angeles, correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay, and, and what went down when you showed up at that? What was his reaction upon seeing you? Uh, I can tell you he wasn't pleased. Yeah. I sat on the side. I guess it was a jury box with with uh, you know it was, all, it was quite a few people there. I guess and and Vinny uh, uh, and his lawyer were sitting out like in the middle of the room. Uh, we were on their left. They were in the room facing the judge, who was also on our left. Uh, and when my name was brought up as one of the names in, in plaintiffs in the, in the case, 
Vinny leaned mm-hmm. over, and, and when the judge asked him questions about that, Vinny leaned over into his lawyer's ear and whispered something. And as he was whispering in the lawyer's ear, he was looking past the lawyer at me. I distinctly remember that. And then mm-hmm. the, the lawyer kind of like, just for a fraction of a second, looked over at me like, and, and back to the judge and said, we would appreciate if we could uh, discuss that in, in judge's chambers uh, later on. And the judge went, okay. And that was it. That was all I got to hear about it. And, and eventually the case came and went, and then he had like a zillion people after him for, for all kinds of money that, that he owed out. And I started hearing the stories about the Kiss Army and him trying to sell stuff and, and people sending money and them not receiving any product for whatever it was he promised to send them, you know, stories about guitars, you know, who's going to sell that he never, that he never played things like that. And, you know, push came to shove, it came to a head and he was no longer in kiss and, and they were distancing themselves and uh, pretty much everybody involved with Vinny was distancing themselves except his, his lawyers. We need that extra push over the cliff. You know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. The only podcast that goes to 11. One loud. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Three months after All Systems Go was released, the band officially announced their breakup. The tensions must have taken over, and some of those tensions may be, as far as Mark and Dana were concerned, explained by the lyrics to Burning Bridges by Slaughter. Um, I'm not going to quote them here, but if you want to look them up, look up Burning Bridges by Slaughter, and uh, it's been pretty well documented that those those lyrics were written about Vinnie Vincent. Um, Things get a bit murkier after the breakup of uh, Invasion as far as Vinny goes. As everyone pretty much knows, Mark and Dana went on to form Slaughter, went on to pretty big success, and Bobby joined Nelson and went on to reasonable success with them. In 1989, Vinny Vincent filed for bankruptcy in Los Angeles. Um, As you heard in the interview, Rick Fox was one of the attendees in the courtroom that day. And from there, Vinny started a new project, tentatively called um, Guitars from Hell, around 1991. Simultaneously, he reconnected with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley in L.A. and started to help with the writing sessions for um, Kiss's upcoming Revenge album. It's also rumored that Vinny mentioned to Gene in conversation that his new solo album would be entitled Revenge and that Gene stole the idea from Vinny, but I can't really base that on anything because it's just a rumor that I've heard, so I'm not going to say that it's a fact. Uh, anyway, Guitars from Hell saw a reunion of sorts with Vinny and Robert Fleischman once again working on some of the songs. This project would be short-lived, however, and uh, according to according to the previously mentioned Rock Pages interview with Fleischman, Vinny, quote, started thinking that he wanted to talk to other record labels, although he had already had a contract with the label that was financing the album. Well, the other label started inquiring with the label he was with about the status of Vinny, and obviously he got himself into a bit of trouble, which ended the deal. Those are Robert Fleischman's words. Uh, Guitars from Hell basically fizzled out at that point, and years later some of the tracks were used for an EP called Euphoria, uh, which was a teaser for a full-length album to be called Guitar Mageddon. Um, one of the people involved with this project in 91, as well as work with the Revenge demos with Vinny and Gene Simmons, was an L.A.-area musician named Kelly Raven, who took some time out to share some of his recollection of both projects. My experience uh, with Vinny, um, I had uh, uh, just actually begun my solo career, um, which I I was previously a drummer, okay? And I had just gotten picked up to do a, a production deal for Giant uh, Warner Brothers uh, with a producer, Howard Rice, who had success with KISS um, back in the 80s. And um, so we're working on on my solo album, Me and Howie. And one day I get this call on my day off to come up to the studio because he had two buddies of his there. (laughs) Um, And they wanted to meet me and and have me come up and start writing with them. So I, I... rush up to the studio on my day off, and boom, there it is. It's Gene Simmons and Vinnie Vincent. 
So um, I'm floored, you know, because I worshipped Kiss, you know, through the 70s and 80s. And, and as a kid, that's kind of what got me into playing rock and roll, one of my big influences. So anyway, <clears throat> to cut to the chase, excuse me, um, I, uh, I I went up and, and I started doing some demos uh, for the Revenge record, which, you know, as you know, Vinny, uh, he, he wrote a lot of stuff for Kiss. The guy is just such an amazing songwriter. I, I must give him that. So we dove into that. Vinny pulls me over to the side, I guess, like second or third day, and says, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm doing my new solo comeback thing, Guitar Mageddon. Um, uh, uh, I understand, you know, the, I had been programming drums and stuff as well for Gene and Vinny. And uh, he said, you know, why don't you come on board and, and play drums with me? So me being young and, and, and um, hungry and all that stuff, I jumped right on it. Uh, so we then started uh, cutting, working on Vinny's new guitar Mageddon, uh cutting demos and so forth for that record, and everything started going really bad. Um, uh, one, he was, he was you know, constantly writing bad checks to me. Um, it even you know, got to a point where he, he stole, physically stole a piece of equipment from me, which really, which really was the clincher. Um, I, had, I had taken quite some time developing my guitar sound um, for my solo record, uh, my Kelly Raven debut album, and you know he was like, hmm, I kind of like this rack, you know. <laughs> and uh, so one day he took off with it, and uh, I, I called him on it, and uh, you know he fought me on it, and, you know, told me that he he borrowed it, and I told him he could have it or something, some crazy story which was false. And um, so anyway, we continued on. And uh, there was just a lot of a, a lot of um, him not showing up. Uh, we, we were working with Robert Fleischman, uh, the original singer for for the Invasion, and um, those two weren't getting along. And I started to realize that Vinny was just um, he, he wasn't paying us. He was just being really, really. Um, I was just so disappointed, you know, and and the fact that he stole from me really, you know, I got to a point where I I wanted to you know punch his lights out, um, you know, which isn't cool, especially when you're working with someone who who you look at look up to. Um, so anyway, we we got got into that to the guitar Mageddon thing, and then we, we you know the contracts came out for the live, the live performances. And um, fortunately, my manager at the time, uh, Mark James, who is the son of uh, Billy James, who uh, was one of the guys responsible for signing the doors, and, and um, I, I don't remember what label they were on or whatever. Uh, but, um, I think it was Electra. Yeah, yeah, Electra, exactly. Yeah. He was an old school Electra um, guy, you know, and um, really good manager. Um, he looked over the contract and he said, well, look, man, you know, I got you down uh, to finish your solo stuff and, 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 you know, it's great that Vinny wants you to go on tour and blah, 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 but, you know, you didn't see this in the contract, but contract basically said that Vinny would own Kelly Raven for the rest of my career, therefore, after our tour dates. Mm. And, you know, me being, again, being hungry, this was my big shot. Mm. Um I was like, well, I'll, I'll do it. Who cares? You know what I mean? And um, fortunately, my manager said, you know, and, and, and the fact that, you know, his credibility just isn't, isn't all that, you yeah. know. And I, I, I kind of saw it, obviously, because he, he stole from me. But I, I kind of let it go because I was still a little bit in awe, you know, just to be working with the guy. But, um, you know, the amount of bad checks that he wrote me, and 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 just some of the the things that he did, like not showing up and just not being honest, um, really hurt our our friendship and our working relationship. So I I ended up um, going we were going into rehearsals, or we had begun going into rehearsals with uh, Robert Fleischman, um, and 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 another unknown. I, I won't mention his name because it's not important um, as the bass player, uh, and and. 
there was just no communication. Um, Vinny was just completely out of control. Um, I even, I even, I remember bringing a girlfriend up to the studio who was like a huge Vinny Vanson fan, and I, it was one of the days he didn't have his wig on, <laughs> and she just, she just like lost it. She could not believe it. I had only, you know, I would, I had always been a, a big Kiss fan, and when, and when the Invasion came out, I didn't really, uh, really follow them I just knew their stuff you know I had the, the cassette and everything but my my excitement for him was that he worked with Kiss who was like the greatest band in the world to me you know back in the 70s and 80s um, and then once I got in and I, and I started working with him Gene was an absolute angel um, you know we don't stay in close touch but you know, I run into him every now and then um, and I'm very fortunate to have to have gotten to jump in on that uh, a revenge thing and, and work with him um, basically through the producer Howie Rice yeah. um, who was a, a, a heavy heavy dude um, in the 80s he, he did everything from Kiss to he was real he was responsible for like Pointer Sisters um, and even uh, oh gosh he I think he did, he did some some tracks for like some big house band called Enigma do you remember them so he was yeah. like an ac- across the board monster um, pop producer, and um, you know he taught me a lot of my tricks and stuff, and um, so so yeah, basically the, the whole the whole thing with Vinny was man, you know I, I had the the opportunity to to jump into bed with him and work with him, but he just was not on the up and up. He stole from me, um, didn't pay, and um, it was a good thing that my manager did not let me enter uh, the agreement that uh, he put forth and originally wanted me to do. So I ended up getting out of it without killing him, you know, because it, it, there was a point where, um, it, you know, I was, I, I was like, if I see him, I'm going to beat, I'm going to beat him up, you know, <laughs> and, and people would be like, well, you know, then we won't, we won't go there because he'll be there or, or what have you. And um, yeah, that, that's basically it. That, that's, that's, that's really it. Well, since you were in kind of an interesting position of a of an era that people know of but don't know a lot about, let me ask you a little bit about the two things. Where um, do you recall what the tension was between him and Robert at the time? Um, I I think because Vinny was very um, he had a lot of animosity towards Slaughter and those guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think Robert might have felt. Um, like second choice, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at the time, I personally didn't spend very much time with the guy. It was, it was. I spent a lot of time with Vinny because I did all the drums. Um, I played a lot of rhythm guitars with him, and um, I, I I would sense that it was more so like Vinny was very very bitter that the slaughter guys took off okay yeah. and i and i'm 100% sure that's why he wanted a percentage of my career because he saw you know this this Kelly Raymond guy might just go ahead and take off and bypass me you know you never know yeah he got he got paranoid exactly and those were the red flags so um i can't speak for robert but but i would more or less think it was it was kind of he felt um you know, Vinny was just very selfish, very selfish. You know, he, like I said, he would make plans, not show up, tell us things, not come through. Um, you know, for all I know, he might have owed this guy a, a lot more money than he owed me, you know. Can you tell me a little bit about what you had did for the uh, revenge demos with him and Gene? Um, I did, um, I played some guitars, uh, him, him, myself, and Gene. Um, I... Put, I, I did a lot of work on the Unholy song, um, and did a lot of the the drum, the drum, the electronic drum tracks. Okay, and uh, yeah, at the time it was interesting because a lot of people were like thinking, you know, why is Gene working with Vinny again? I mean, obviously because he's a great songwriter, but um, when Gene talks about that era, he just sort of glosses over saying you know, the same things came up from the past with Vinny and then it just sort of got cut off. 
Uh, right. Did you sense tension between the two of them at the time? Actually, no, I did not. But now that I think back on it, I could probably say there was. Um, because, again, I was the new guy. I was the quiet guy. I was doing whatever Gene and Howie asked me to gladly. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I did every now and then see the uh, Gene wanted it this way. Vinny had to have it this way. Um a clear room type of thing, and I don't know what went on, you know. So I, 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 I really don't want to overstep anything and, and say, um, but, but, but now that I look back, I, I can't see why there wouldn't be. I even remember saying to Gene, you know, he stole from me, <laughs> and, and then Howie and the engineer were like, okay, well, you want us to take him in the other room and chop his head off, you know, <laughs> um, and they meant it, uh, uh, but, but. I, I can't really say I saw anything um, that I can define. Right. Now. And I think some of these stories get, they may get, because at the time, I mean, you were just in it and it was just, you know, demo work for you and I and everything. And it, it's just more like going to the office for you guys. But I think those of us that are fans, we build it up to be much more dramatic, I guess, in hindsight. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were there were a few, you know, there were a few really good days. I mean, you know, we worked on that stuff for months, and then, you know, it it it. The thing was, this what this is what it was. I was was like basically working on the kiss thing, and Vinny had me like coming back after those sessions. So it was almost like he was um, um, doing it behind their back type of mm -hmm. thing. You know what I mean? Well, hey, Kelly, can you come up and help me on this? And can you and I do this and that? You know, I mean, you know, he'd, he'd come pick me up at my house at 8 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And his little red, uh, uh, what was that, uh, Mercedes. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd go in and we'd work all day and blah, blah, blah. And he'd write me a check. I'd go to the bank and it would bounce. <laughs> And this this started getting old, you know, and and like I said, my girlfriend was even like she was just like, oh my god, this this is not cool, man, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it was definitely um, I did learn a lot it, 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 during those sessions, mm -hmm. and I learned a little bit, um, you know, because I'm no angel, um, what not to act like and and how not to be to my players and so forth because. My understanding is uh, not too many people really care for the guy. So, and and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that I have to you know talk in depth on this level about him because, uh, like I said, I I absolutely adored him and he's very talented. Well, I appreciate you get coming on and and giving me a few minutes of your time. And um, for people that would want to check out your your music and stuff, especially like the the th track you did with Lemmy, uh, where would they find that? Um, you can uh, Google Kelly Raven, K-E-L-I-R-A-V-E-N, Kelly Raven and Lemmy Kilnister, um, and that's on YouTube and uh, other fan sites, where you can go directly to ReverbNation.com forward slash Kelly Raven. And um, there's a whole different world <laughs> there. Um, we like to call it modern erotica rock. And... Um, we're really excited about um, getting out there this summer and playing the, the new record, Scream, Kelly Raven Scream, to uh, the people, and as well as uh, the track with Lemmy and, and, and other stuff um, that I'll be putting out uh, in the near future. Okay, folks, that's the end of part one of this Vinnie Vincent special. I hope you enjoyed that. I want to thank Rick Fox and Kelly Raven for being the guest on this part of the episode. You can find out more about Kelly Raven at www.reverbnation.com slash Kelly Raven, K-E-L-I-R-A-V-E-N. If you want to find out more about Rick Fox, uh, there's a couple places you can find out more about him. You can check out www.fullinbloommusic.com slash Rick, R-I-K, Fox. Rick is also available on MySpace and Facebook. And you can check that out, and he'll be friends with you if he feels like it. And if not, then uh, just read up about him on that big interview on Full and Bloom Music. You can also find out more about him at www.husaria.us, H-U-S-A-R-I-A. 
Lots more coming up on part two of this Vinnie Vincent special on the Decibel Geek podcast. I will have some more surprise guests coming on and sharing their remembrances of Vinnie and also my updated take on where things stand now because with Vinnie, things are always evolving. See you on the next part. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.